Please turn your Bibles or turn them on once more to the second chapter of Revelation. We'll look at the last 12 verses of this chapter today, verses 18 through 29. This is the fifth sermon in our series on the seven churches of Revelation. Steve Schaub did an excellent job last week speaking on the church at Pergamum. Today we are looking at the church at Thyatira. Thyatira was situated about 40 miles southeast of Pergamum. I think we got a map that I want you to take a look at real quickly. You can see where the island of Patmos is designated. This is where John was as he was riding down what God was giving him, what Jesus was giving him. Our first church was the church of Ephesus, then Smyrna, and then the further most northern city, Pergamum, and now we've turned the corner. We're in Thyatira. We're making our way back down. Thyatira, situated about 40 miles southeast of Pergamum, a rather small city noted especially for its many trade guilds and its textiles, especially the production of purple dye. They had a very cheap purple dye. It was a good substitute for a very expensive purple dye, and it made the town rich and famous. Thyatira, known today by the Turks as Akasar, or White Castle, from the great quantities of white marble there abounding. Only one ancient edifice is left standing. The rest are so destroyed that no vestiges of them are to be found at all. Chuck Swindoll calls Thyatira the small town with a big problem. It had a big <laughs> big problem. Thyatira was uh, the smallest of the seven cities mentioned uh, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, but it received the longest letter from Christ of all of them. When the letter opens, we see that the church in Thyatira was doing a lot of things well, uh, many, many things, but it was also guilty of a very grievous sin. The sin was that of being too tolerant. That sounds strange in our culture today where the church is often accused of being too judgmental, uh, but rarely ever of being too tolerant. The fact of the matter is, however, that the modern church has more in common with the church at Thyatira than we would like to admit at times. I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 18 of Revelation chapter 2. This is, a, this is going to be a difficult sermon to get through in one, one shot. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to make it happen. Good Lord willing, I'm going to make it happen. Revelation two verse eighteen. The Bible reads to the church, to the angel of the church in Thyatirite. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like polished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and your latter deeds are greater than your first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants to be sexually immoral, to eat food sacrificed to idols. Even though I have given her time to repent of her immorality, she is unwilling. 
Behold, I will cast her onto a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Then I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts. And I will repay each of you according to your deed. But I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned the so-called deep things of Satan, I will place no further burden upon you. Nevertheless, hold fast to what you have until I come. And to the one who overcomes and continues in my work until the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter and shatter them like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? Can you imagine being there on the edge of your seat, hearing that you have received a letter that has been written by Jesus Christ, dictated by John and sent specifically to you? I would imagine there would be some nervousness, some nervous anxiety about it. But then you hear all the praise, you know, you're... you're you're, you're a people of faith, people of love, and, and you start to get comfortable. And then he says, but I've got this against you. Wow. Uh, let's look at the introduction before we get into the body of the sermon. Verse 18 again says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God. We'll stop there for the moment. The letter starts out like all the rest, addressing the angel of the church or the pastor of the church. Then Jesus adds to the description of himself. He's been giving us a snippet or a snapshot of himself in every letter. To Ephesus, he described himself in verse 1 as him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. To Smyrna, he spoke of himself in verse 8 as the first and the last, the one who died and returned to life. That's a strong word. To Pergamum, he referred to himself in verse 12 as the one who holds the sharp, double-edged sword. Now here in verse 18, to the church at Thyatira, he says plainly of himself, I am the Son of God, the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like polished bronze. That phrase, Son of God, it's the only time in the book of Revelation this reference is made. And it speaks to the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus refers to himself three different times in this book as the Son of Man, which of course speaks to his humanity. But here we have this bold, clear statement of his deity. I am the Son of God. Jesus was a man, but he was more than a man. Jesus was a prophet, but we find out that he was much more than just a prophet. He was a great example, but certainly he was more than that. He is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and He's very God. I don't know where you stand on that today. I hope it's clear in your mind, and I hope you've got it settled and fixed in your heart, but Jesus is exactly who He says He is. If He's not the Son of God and very God, then we're all meeting in vain. We have no business being here. Jesus claims to be the Savior of the world. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. And He raised Himself from the dead three days later. And if He didn't do that, then we have no business here. Jesus said, I am the Son of God. What an incredible statement. 
He goes on to say, whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like polished brass. What a description. The eyes of Christ are a blazing fire penetrating the heart, soul, and mind of all he looks at. Verse 23 said, all the churches will know. All the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts. Have you ever felt that God was looking at you? You ever felt that way? I know sometimes we think that God's not looking at us at all. I, I, I get that. I understand that. We go through hard and difficult things. And, and maybe we think, man, God is just not paying any attention to my circumstance. He is. But what about those times when it seems He is piercing your soul looking into you? He looks and He sees all. He knows all. He is God. Nothing can be hid from His gaze whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like polished bronze. The meaning of this phrase, to be honest, is difficult to ascertain. There's several different explanations and a lot more guesses. And that's all they are. We don't know for sure. And we have to be careful not to read into Scripture something that isn't there. You guys know, and, and I take this seriously, I... I try desperately not to preach opinion or conjecture when handling the word of truth standing here. That being said, I think there is a good explanation maybe to what this means. Thyatira was famous <clears throat> for its bronze smithing. I said a moment ago there were many different guilds, industry guilds, and bronze smithing was one of those that was famous for that. So maybe, and it's likely, I think, that this reference was meant just to capture the attention of those who were hearing this letter read for the very first time. If you're a bronze smith and you hear these words whose feet are like polished bronze, you're probably going to scoot out on the edge of your seat to hear what's coming next. It's important to realize that these are metaphors describing the character and nature of Jesus Christ. This is not an actual description of what he looks like. And we know that when we rightly divide the word of truth and we allow scripture to interpret itself. In John 10, 9, Jesus is speaking and he said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. and He will go in and out and find pastures. Jesus wasn't a real door in appearance, but he is a door in the fact that he's the only way to heaven. He's the only way. You can't get there through any other means. So he uses the metaphor of a door in John chapter 9. And again here he's describing himself as one who peers into the hearts and minds and souls of man. Hmm. What an introduction. Let's look at this for just a few minutes. Notice number one, the passion of the church. This is what Jesus had to say. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and your latter deeds are greater than your first. Jesus says, as he does to all the churches, I know, I know, nothing is hid from me. Of course he knows. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He knows. Jesus knows. If you're wondering, Jesus knows everything about you. He does. He does. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, 
your love. Notice that here, this church, the church at Thyatira, surpasses Ephesus as Christ commends them for their love. Ephesus was the church that very early on was so renowned for their love that people all across the country had heard of Ephesus and their love for one another and their love for God. But Jesus said of them, you've left your first love. Here to the church at Thyatira, he says, I know about your love and I know the fact that it's greater now than it was when you started. So God is commending this church. And he says, I know your deeds, I, I know you. This was a church that was passionate about Christ. Thyatira was really in many ways a model church. They had these four essential qualities. They had love both for the Lord and one another. And they were searching, they were serving people. They had faith and a lot of patience. We read this and we, we, we know for a fact that this was a passionate church. They loved God and loved people. And that's what you would hope of every church, every congregation in the world today. It's not true of every church, but it's what you would hope would be true of everyone. And Jesus commended them for these qualities. Do you ever think of yourself in regards to that list? I mean, do you love well? Do you love well and unconditionally both God and, and your Christian brothers and sisters? These are the kind of things that Jesus takes special note of. He, he, he said, I know your love for one another. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ unconditionally? Are you a person of faith? Or do you find yourself struggling too often with fear? Not trusting that God is good. Not trusting that God is able to perform on your behalf as He says He is. This congregation was a congregation of faith. They, they believed in God. They trusted in God. During a time of great persecution, they had trusted in God and were doing so faithfully. How is your faith? Are you serving God in the kingdom? Is, is church just a Sunday morning place to go? Or do you find a way to serve the kingdom and God and church? Do you exercise perseverance or do you cave when things get tough? I guess what I'm asking is could God commend you? Could he commend us for the same thing that he commended this church for? We need to consider these questions. We need to ask ourselves where we stand with God. This church was a passionate church and their passion was noteworthy and Jesus declared it for all the world to know. The passion of the church. Notice, secondly, the problem with the church. Here's where it runs off the rails, so to speak. Verse 20 through 23 says, But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants to be sexually immoral and eat food sacrificed to idols. Even though I have given her time to repent of her immorality, she is unwilling. Behold, I will cast her into a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds, of her deeds. Then I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who 
Search his minds and hearts, and we'll repay each of you according to your deeds. But I have this against you. How awful it would be to hear God say that. Pointed directly at you. I have this against you. I, I hope I never hear those words, but there's a good chance I will. All of us. This is also a very accurate translation here, a very track, uh, very accurate rendering, but I have this against you. Some translations say I have a few things against you, and that's not accurate. Uh, the original is very, very clear that this is a single issue that's going on within the church. I have this against you is literally what it says. We can easily say this thing, one thing, but it's a big thing. It's a big thing. The this Jesus was speaking of, the problem with the church was its tolerance, as I said earlier. They put up with a woman God chooses to call Jezebel, uh, which is probably not her real name, but God calls her that because she's immolating the Jezebel of the Old Testament, the wife of Ahab, King Ahab, in that she led people astray. She led the people of God to follow Baal led them into Baal worship. And so God calls this woman Jezebel probably because she's doing the same thing. The name Jezebel is synonymous with evil, much like the name Judas. You don't hear anybody naming their son Judas these days. And so probably she wasn't really named Jezebel, but God knew her. He knew more about her than her parents did. So he called her like it was. You've allowed this woman, you've allowed this Jezebel to lead my people astray. The implication is that they knew there was false teaching going on, but they chose to look the other way. And this is always dangerous for a church. And it can be very easily done if you're not careful, especially when the person in transgression is influential or someone that you really like. The church has to be careful to remain faithful to God in, in all things. The verse says you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess by her teaching. She misleads my servants to be sexually immoral and to eat food sacrificed to idols. The word translate, the word translated here is tolerate is the Greek word epheimi. And it literally means to let or to let go, or to allow, to tolerate. It's also in the present tense, meaning they continually let it happen. And it's also in the active voice, meaning it was a volitional choice. It was a conscious decision. We know from all of that that something was going on and had been going on for some time. So here's this woman that is misleading people, now, it's important that we realize what she's doing exactly. So Scripture says, She misleads my servants to be sexually immoral and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I love the Word of God. I love God, the fact that He doesn't hide things. You know, in church life, most of the time, if something bad's going on, we try to make it sound as good as we can. Have you ever noticed that? You know, even in meetings behind closed doors, and sometimes you have to talk about these very difficult issues, you're, you don't want to just say certain words and, 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 and bring things out in a certain way. God never had that problem. 
God just speaks plain, you know. So God just says, you're letting this woman mislead my servants to, to be sexually immoral. To eat food sacrifice to idols. It seems that this woman who called herself a prophetess had managed to sway the minds of many of the Christians in the church to continue their pagan worship of idols which characterized the unbelievers in the city of Thyatira. They were therefore not only permitted to participate in the idolatrous feast that were going on by eating things sacrificed to idols, but they were also instructed to take part in the immorality which also characterized the worship of idols. And, and this probably would have been an easy sell. Satan knows our weaknesses. You, you, you probably can attest to that individually in your own life. God, God knows us intimately. He knows everything about us. There's nothing hid from God. Nothing, not a single thing. But Satan, he knows our weaknesses. And he exploits them. He, he, he knows how to attack you in ways that uh, no one else would think of. No one else would be successful. You, you, would, you would be prepared, but Satan just knows how. And this would probably have been an easy Sell. We, we know that Thyatira had many trade guilds. It would have been very difficult to conduct business as an independent outside of one of these trade guilds. Uh, they, they would have forced them out of business almost. So it made good business sense to join these trade guilds that existed during this day. The problem was these guilds held regular meetings and the meetings were held often in conjunction with the many feasts that celebrated the gods of the city. So they would come together, be there together during the feast time because they've got a meeting either coming up afterwards or they would have the meeting beforehand and they would just be caught up in the moment. It would be hard to go into one of these meetings and not get caught up in everything that was going on. Eventually, they sit down to eat, and there's a great feast put before them, foods that have been sacrificed to the gods, and so they eat. But then after all of that was done, there would be this incredible offensive to God and filthy sexual immorality that would take place in the guise of worship and they would be encouraged to participate. This was no place for a child of God to be found. This was no place for a Christian. But somehow or another this woman had swayed the minds of some of these businessmen we could say and probably businesswomen because there were many in Thyatira, businesswomen. She was able to sway their minds and 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 make them believe that outside of these trade guilds, you can't function. You're not going to be able to provide for your families. And so they just capitulated to what was going on, capitulated to the culture, and, and assumed the same identity as those outside the family of faith. Listen, sometimes we rationalize what is good and bad in our minds in the church. This church had done that, obviously, and not only this church, the church of every age and, and throughout the years, and the church in our day has done the same thing. 
And we can often be too tolerant of sin, but God is not. And so we read, Behold, I, I will cast her in, onto a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery will, with her will suffer great tribulation unless they repent of, their de- of her deeds. Then I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. And there's so much in here that I can't take time with today. We, we're going to do a, a verse-by-verse study of Revelation coming up before too long, and we'll go a lot deeper in this than I'm able to time-wise today. But here's what you need to know. God is gracious and He's kind. He's merciful. He's loving. But He is equally just and holy. You get that, right? I mean, I mean the, the modern church today loves painting the picture of Jesus as this loving, loving God. Who, who, who doesn't want you to go through any trial in your life. And, 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 and we paint the picture that He is so good and He's certainly going to deliver you from any, any issue that you have in your life, and whether it's financial or, or health or whatever it is. God, he, he's, gonna, he's there for you. He's going to deliver you from that. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be hurt. He doesn't want you to go through pain. And God is good. God is good. His mercy endures forever. He is loving. And He wants the best for you. And He has a perfect plan for your life. But he's also holy and just. And when we sin and we're unrepentant, this woman was not willing to repent. He gave her space. He gave her time. He was willing to allow her to repent. But she would not. And because of that, God said, I cannot look on. I cannot tolerate this sin any longer. So this is what I'll do. I'll cast her onto a bed of sickness. Those who commit adultery with her will suffer great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. That is a description of those who follow after her, who participate in satanic worship, is what would best describe it in that day, and in Thyatira. Those he calls her children who have, who have follow, followed her, He said, I will strike dead, and all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts. God cannot be tolerant. He can be merciful. And He can be loving. The church should be loving. The church should be merciful. The church should be reaching out. But we cannot be tolerant of sin and be right with God. So we see the passion of the church. We see the problem with the church. Now notice thirdly quickly the purpose of the church. Verse 24 says, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned the so-called deep things of Satan. I, I will place no further burden upon you. Nevertheless, hold fast to what you have till I come. Here Jesus singles out a group of people within the church that obviously had not been caught up in the teaching of this woman. They had remained faithful. Can you imagine uh, the conversation with these people as, as they, they saw what was happening, saw what was going on? And maybe they weren't in a position to do anything about it. We don't know. God is he's just singling them out and saying, hey, I know that you've... It sounds like he's saying, I know what you've gone through. I know 
what you've struggled with. And so because you've put up with this and you've been faithful to me, you haven't been caught up, you've not dipped your toe in the water of satanic worship and you've remained faithful. I'm not going to put any more on you. But he did say this, you need to hold fast to what you have. Hold fast. We would say today, you need to hang on for dear life. And then Jesus made him a promise, hold fast till I come. Jesus is coming back for the church. He's coming back for the church. Hold fast till I come. We know He's coming back because He tells us in John 14, 1 through 3. And I love these verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Although you're in a very troubling time, in a very troubling place, this world has a tendency to trouble us. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What a promise. He told this church, I'm going to come. Just hold on. And he says the same thing to us today. I'm coming. I, I can't even imagine what must go through his heart and mind as he looks down on the world as it is today. The brokenness and the sin. The Christians who claim to be one thing and who are in actuality something totally different. The world that blatantly curses him and says he never existed. And he's looking down with mercy and grace and with such love. He's calling out to people. He'll call out to some this morning in this building. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I have no doubt that His Spirit will speak to you, that He'll call out to you because He desires to have a relationship with you. and He wants you to know Him because He knows what He's able to do in your life. But yet the pain that he goes through as he watches the world get worse and worse, just exactly like he said it would do. And to those faithful children, he's still calling out, saying to them, I'm coming, hang on, hold fast to what you have because I'm coming. And it could be today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If God should call his children home. I was thinking this past week with everything that we were going through and all the difficulties that the families within the church were experiencing and the loss of life and family. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if, if God just split the eastern sky and came back for His, his church? These last verses, verse 26 through 29, says, And to the one who overcomes and continues... In my work until the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter and shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to the one who overcomes. And to the one who overcomes. And we 